Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number 50. I'm your host, Derek Moore, back with me as longtime guest and friend of the program, Jay Pastorcelli. And today, Jay and I got so many questions from our episode last week where we talked about single concentrated stock hedging. And, you know, a couple people said, this is really interesting. I didn't know it was possible. I see a lot of benefits from it. But could you give us sort of a case study? And so today we'll call this sort of a, the bookend to it, the case study. Jay, how you doing? Doing great. And I made it to episode 50, Derek. I know at 49, I, I said, I hope I make number 50, but I'm here. I'm happy yeah, to be here. Some, somehow you got back on. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> all right, Jay, let's, let's get right. At, by the way, the market's at another all-time high today. Um, Amazing. So still, still within the, the 36% of the time, you're within 3%. And now we are at an all-time. Of course, to make an all-time high, the market have has had to have been at an all-time high before because you got to exceed the old high, right? That's right. That's right. You can't have an all-time high that's lower than a different all-time high. These aren't one-year highs. Yeah. These are all-time highs, right? Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. So, typically, what happens is you know somebody comes to you or to I or to us, right, and says. You know what? I have. Uh, I'm in Silicon Valley. I used to be. I'll use. This, you know, let's let's sort of give a, a little bit of an example. I've got Google, Facebook, Intel, uh, Microsoft. Uh, what's the other one? Netflix. Whatever it is, one of these high flying stocks says. You know, I have like a million dollars in one of these stocks, and my tax situation might be a little bit of a low cost basis. You know, typically this is more individualized, and so. In doing kind of a case study and, and a deeper dive into this, Jay, what's the what's sort of the conversation that typically goes on? Like, what what is the the process when someone comes to us with a million dollars in in concentrated stock or, or ten million, you know, whatever it is? Yeah, no, I th- thanks, Derek. I, I for you know, it's important. There's there's really four things that we as advisors need to get our arms around before we actually decide if hedging is the right thing. For this individual client situation, and so we look at uh, what is the what are the goals uh, for this position that the client has. We look at the kind of an account that they have it in. We try to figure out what it is they're trying to avoid, and then we talk about the level of risk that we're willing to take. And um, if you, having a conversation about those four topics um, lays out the blueprint about how we manage that concentrated position with the client. And I say with because everybody's different. Um, We do this, gosh, uh, I think over 10% of the assets we manage now, Derek, are in some sort of a concentrated position. And it is only getting more and more popular. It seems that once the the word got out that you could actually lower your single stock risk, um, uh, people started coming and talking to us. And so uh, but but everyone is different. Believe it or not, there's there's no plan that is identical between any of these clients that we're managing this kind of uh, position for. And so um, you're right, Derek. We did get a lot of feedback, and we had a lot of people ask us to get a little more specific around. Well, what do I do? Like you guys talked about this concept, and you left me wanting more. Can you give us a little more detail? And so. Uh, Derek, I know you don't like to have a script, and this is not a scripted podcast today. But at least there's a little bit of an outline that I think we're going to follow, right? Yeah, I would say it's it's a you know back of the envelope outline. Let's not let anyone think this is prescriptive, but yeah, 
There's a funny, there's a funny story, Derek, that now I'm going totally off, off outline of, uh, uh, this is the way Derek does a plan. Derek, not, not a financial plan, but when Derek is, uh, uh, working off the cuff years and years and years ago, when Derek and I first met, Derek and I were looking at building the education program, uh, TD Ameritrade across the country. And so Derek was going to come to me and he was going to pitch me why he thinks that the education program, how it was going to be successful. And I said, okay, we have dinner. We sit down. Derek pulls out a pen and a napkin and starts writing out a picture of the United States and telling me where we're going to do these <laughs> seminars. And I said, wait, this is your plan on a napkin? And that's it. This is the way Derek likes to roll. So uh, not, but seriously, uh, uh, only when we're, we're, we're talking about these broad based yeah. things. So. Sorry. Well, looking. Yeah, no, no. And it was, you know, I like to keep the plans uh, very impactful, very, uh, very minimalist. And uh, it's really just the highlights, I think. So, yes. But looking at my uh, not a napkin, but a a legal pad that I have here. You know, when I when I think about this process and, you know, Jay, I'll kind of let you let you talk about this. I mean, you know, the position goals are they're all over the place. Like some people they want, everyone wants something different. I mean, some people hold a stock for one reason or another, but I mean, it really starts off with, you know, why are you holding it? And then what are the goals, right? Yeah, no, that's true. Because if you're worried about single stock risk, you just sell it. You just be done with it and you diversify your portfolio. You'd hedge your portfolio, right? You'd build it out. So there's a reason why you haven't done that yet when you walk into our office. So either you are worried about the tax consequences you uh, you you want you think this individual stock has a lot of growth potential. You think it's going to grow faster than a diversified portfolio. Maybe you like the income from the dividend of this concentrated stock. Maybe that's really important to you. Um, the one that I believe it or not see see uh, uh, disproportionately is that there's a sentimental value to the stock position. I don't know how many times somebody tells me, well, my grandfather bought this and I and I inherited it and he believed in the company, so I guess I'll believe in the company, right? That's a reason that we see all the time. Um, and then the very last reason, if I'm kind of rounding this out, is maybe you're waiting for a certain price target to be hit before you want to get out. So again, whether it's sentimental reasons, whether you think there's good growth opportunities, whether it's the dividends that you like for income, whether you have a tax issue that you're trying to manage through, or the stock just isn't the level where you want it to be yet, these are the things that we'll talk about when it comes to what are your goals with this position? Because if you don't have one of these goals, um, you probably should have just sold it already. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's an. I mean, it's so different why people hold it and then what they're trying to get out of it. I mean, like you said, some individuals come to us and say, look, I, I basically got a zero cost basis. So if I sell this and you know they live in New York or California, it's even worse. But if they if they sell it automatically, you're you're some almost getting a reduction. But that actually plays into the whole idea of, you know, the type of account matters. And so there's different things you can do in a qualify, I mean a, a retirement account versus taxable. And I think that's a good place to pivot to. Yeah, and and actually, that's that's one of the next things we look at is what kind of an account is holding this position. By the way, usually it's almost always a taxable account. Um, it's it's sometimes tough to get granted stock or paid in stock or inherit stock in a, in an account that you're not going to pay taxes on. But that does matter a little bit. The account type that actually works into the structure that we create. I know you and I, Derek, love when 
one of these positions is in an IRA type account because there's so many more things we could do because you don't have to worry about the tax consequences. You could keep your exposure, but then you know diversify at the same time. But let's talk about what happens more often than not, and that's in a taxable account. And in those taxable accounts, you think about it, most of the time, those folks are trying to avoid some sort of a tax liability, right? There's a, hey, there's a consequence to selling stock in a taxable account. So understanding the impact is important there. Um, there's some other things, though, that people are trying to avoid because there are times where people come to us and say, yeah, this was granted to me as uh, part of my compensation and the stock was right about where it's trading today. So you don't have a large tax liability of selling it, but maybe there's other things that you're trying to avoid, right? Why are you holding the stock? Well, why haven't you sold it yet? Well, we talked about the reasons of the goals of those positions, but there's also things you're trying to avoid. And we just said tax consequences could be one of them. Maybe you're uh, uh, you, you, you are living off of the income and you want to avoid the loss of that income. Maybe you say, listen, it's, I, I, I don't have anything better, uh, to invest in, right? I, I can't afford to lose the income from the stock. Um, maybe you don't want to give up the shares. Maybe it's one of those things that, you know, you like holding this, right? Or just, Hey, I feel like I've held this thing forever. And if I sell it now, I may miss out on the growth that hasn't come yet. You know, under so not only is uh, these are related, but not only understanding the goals of the position help us put together a plan for that client, but it's also what is it that you're really trying to avoid? Because it's important to 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 nail that. You know, one of the most important things when you talk about what is it you're trying to avoid for us, it's how to avoid losing money in the position. How do you avoid losing value? And of course, I'm not saying. Well, I guess we could build positions that would never lose any value. They probably limit the upside too. But, you know, losing value is almost always the most important reason of what we're trying to avoid. Hey, what is it that you want to do? I need to hold the stock. Great. What do you want to avoid? I want to avoid losing money in my position. That, by the way, would seem like an obvious conversation, but so often that's actually not the situation. We have all these other uh, uh, iterations of these combinations that we have to worry about, right? So um, that we look at, and of course, then the risk associated with this position is certainly important because sometimes, hey, as you said this last week, Derek, sometimes it's better to just sell it um, and pay the taxes because if you lost 40% in the stock overnight, it would have been better to cash it out where it was and pay the taxes on the gains that you had embedded versus eating all of it on the way down. So all of those things go into the conversations. And I think if you're an individual that has a concentrated position and you need to think, you know, what are my next steps? I feel hamstrung. Think about why you hold it, what you're trying to accomplish with it. Think about what you're trying to avoid and then understand the amount of risk you're willing to endure in this position. Jay, you mentioned kind of selling price targets. Uh, just quickly, uh, you know, it's worth mentioning. Some people come to us and say, look, uh, I want to structure an exit. And I don't want to get into the tactics just yet, but just the idea of, hey, let's set up a schedule over X number of years or whatever it is. Um, and that's another, you know, what is it that you want to avoid? But that's goes back to the position goals where some people are like, look, I, I just need to spread this out over time, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Derek, you and I spoke to a client just a few weeks ago that it was, hey, let's, let's, you have a lot of gains embedded in this position. No reason to take all the hit here. We can, uh, uh, the tax hit, I mean, here, we could spread it out over time and diversify along the way. That way, you know, you get your first 
you know, the way the tax code works today, right? The first 70,000 of capital gains doesn't get taxed, those kinds of things. So you take advantage of some of the tax rules that give you uh, incentive to spread it out over time. Then some other folks, it's just better to be done with it, right? So everybody, it's 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 different. And I'm not giving tax advice, by the way, right there when I gave that 70,000 thing. That's, you know, that's just what I've heard. I'm making air quotes. Um, so, you know, obviously we'll always have you talk to an accountant. And actually for that client, we actually sent them back to their accountant to do the math on, hey, what is your liability if we actually, you know, sold it here? And do we hedge it and wait a few years? Or do we, uh, you know, get out of this and diversify right away, right? Those are the conversations you just need to think through. Have an accountant, understand your risk. Usually those are the pieces that we have to, we, we, we put together for the puzzle. And we will always work with your accountants too. I mean, how many times have you been on the phone with somebody's accountant and we say, okay, what if we structured the exit here over the next two or three years? Accountants usually are very open to that, and they always love the fact that we can protect somebody uh, uh, and limit their risk and take you know that single stock volatility out of the mix. No, that's that's a great point, and and the fact that we're willing to work with you know it's it's sort of a partnership right with the client, but also they have other uh, on the tax side they're getting professional advice often from from an accountant, and uh, you know we're able to to have the conversation and sort of make sure everybody's on the same page. So I think that's that's a good point. I will, of course, link to uh, to take Jay off the hook. Uh, Schwab and TD all have both have some uh, some good information on capital gains and uh, and taxes. So I'll link to those uh, in the show notes. So uh, you know, Jay, one of the things I think we wanted to do is get into you know some some examples and case studies. And so the way I look at this, there's probably a, a few different ones that I'd like to go over with you. Uh, the first is. In, in a situation where it was a tactical, where a stock went down, and not only did we avoid some losses, but we're able to to sort of monetize some of the gains. I think that the other one is where had you just closed your eyes, it would have wound up okay, but there was a ton of volatility in the meantime. And then kind of the third one, I think, is where um, you know, everything, everything wound up being fine. I mean, you know, you had some some protection on, but in the end you didn't need it. Um, but the drawdown or the the drawback of doing that really wasn't that great. And so, Jay, I think we'll start with the first one. Um, I don't know if we want to mention the stock or not, but um, I'll leave that up to you. And, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, Conagra was was sort of the stock, and uh, we've teased this white paper. We actually have a. This is one of our examples of sort of the case study we put in there. When we talked about the Conagra example, it was an example of where large concentrated position. Uh, but Jay, I mean, kind of take us through the steps, uh, the goals there, and then what were some of the tactics uh, that you employed? Perfect. Okay. So when we sat down with this client in, we started the conversation with them, and I think it was in 2015. So again, without saying any names uh, besides the stock, um, we sat down, we talked to the client. They had a very large position in ConAgra, you know, a food company, right? A staple. Right. Uh, uh, so uh, out of the Midwest, out of Omaha, which is where I used to live. Um, and so w- what we did is when we sat down with them, we said, OK, why do you hold this stock? And the answer was, we really like the income. It pays a two, two and a half percent dividend. We like living off the income. Don't ever care to ever sell a single share of this. I just want to continue to get our income. And it was in a taxable account. And what they were trying to avoid was. Uh, that if ConAgra ever did lower their dividend, which was the whole point of why they were holding it, um, 
uh, that then the stock would take a big hit and they wanted to kind of protect, uh, you know, their position in those situations. Um, we couldn't just sell it. Their tax liability was very, very low. I think they had a cost basis of a dollar, under a dollar, right? Right now it's a $29 stock. Um, at the time it was more like a $35 stock. Uh, and, uh, you know, selling and rotating into something else that pays two, two and a half, like the S&P 500 would just be too darn expensive. So they wanted to avoid the tax liability and continue to get their income. Um, you know, they had the, uh, this was not, uh, uh, all of their value. Um, we're talking about a position that was, uh, was round. I'm going to round the numbers. It was about a $5 million position and they were probably worth a lot more than that. Well, not probably they were. So they could handle the single stock risk. And so when we sat down with them, we said, okay, why are you holding it? You want your income? Great. It's a taxable account. You want to avoid the taxes. You want to protect against the loss of income. Uh, but you can handle the risk of, of holding the position. So in that scenario, our solution was, we're going to buy protection for you using puts, long puts on ConAgra. ConAgra has a has a decent options market on it, so we're able to buy p- protection for that client. And uh, we were going to pay for it by you know doing using the ConAgra as collateral. We talked about this in last week's episode, where you can use the underlying stock as uh, collateral to either sell uh, a premium selling strategy or even just sell calls against the stock. Um, so we did that. So we were long puts, short calls. We did, that's what's known as a collar and we created protection for this client. Great. And we protected it for years. A couple of years goes by and fast forward to December, November of 2018. Now that's a year ago. And the stock in the period of a one month period goes from $35 down to $20. So the stock takes over a 40% hit. Well, guess what? Our hedges are now worthwhile. By the way, we had managed the cost of the hedges, and I know we'll talk about that in your last example here, Derek, but we had managed the hedges. So the protection was essentially paid for uh, through you know, through the, the, the other tactics that we were using uh, on the underlying stock. Well, the stock drops from 35 to 20 bucks. Well, this is a textbook example of why you hedge. It's a you know, they had a bad earnings and uh, they talked about things that freaked the market out, whatever. I won't get into the details what it was, but now our hedges were very, very profitable. We made money on our hedge. Our insurance was finally paying off. Well, in this example, what do you do? The client doesn't want to sell the stock. By the way, we had the right to sell the stock at $32. It's trading at 20, right? Our hedge has got a $12 intrinsic value in it, meaning it's worth at least 12 bucks, this hedge per share right? Stocks trading at 20 and our hedges worth 12. So we stopped the client's losses at that 32 range. Um, but uh, they didn't want to get rid of the stock because why? Well, because they still wanted the income. So we took the profits on the hedge and then we actually reinvested and created some diversification away from this single stock. Now, they held the shares. We never got rid of a single share. Um, we rehedged, but also took some of the profits. Stock rebounded to $31 by the time March, April came around. If you take a look at a stock chart there, uh, I guess it was the end of April, it had kind of rebounded back in 2019. And so guess what? They didn't lose any shares. They didn't lose their income, but we took profits on the hedge. And so in this example, um, it's why you hedge even when a client tells you, I can handle the risk and uh, I don't want to ever sell any, you might say, well, why even bother hedging? Well, the answer was in this case, because we got that big sell-off, we were able to monetize that hedge and we're able to turn it into 
a whole nother portfolio that's diversified away from this single stock risk. So I would recommend for anybody listening here, put us on pause for a sec. If you're driving, don't. But uh, take a look at a ConAgra stock over the last two years, and you will see when the stock drops, the symbol is CAG, when the stock drops, when we rolled those hedges. I won't say how much we made on it, but I think I gave you some ideas of what, the, at the very least, what the uh, hedges had in intrinsic value, mathematical value. Um, and then you diversified away from that. So, you know, that's it's a really good example. Uh, uh, the advisor that we work with, with this client, you know, calls it a textbook example of why you hedge. Um, and the client, we met all of their goals through all of this. Again, a very unique situation. They're all unique, but in this case, kept the stock, kept the income, they were protected. And when the time was right, we took the profits from that uh, protection and then helped diversify them and reinvested while the market was at a significantly lower price than it is today. No, I think I think that's a great kind of walkthrough of the tactics and, and a little bit, you know, kind of pulling the curtain back. And, you know, one of the things I think when you think about uh, Conagra, Conagra was down, as you mentioned, over 45%. And there's all these different pieces. And so you talked about something like a direct hedge. A direct hedge is buying uh, protection on the stock itself. And, you know, just that, I believe those hedges made, you know, it was roughly took the loss from 45 down, you know, probably 20 20 percentage points. And then we had, you talked about selling other options premium. That was additive as well. So then you, you add back uh, some percentage points. And then we, the other thing you mentioned was selling covered calls. So you think about it, um, and you'll see this in the white paper, I keep teasing this, but uh, we've got a chart in there, where the stock comes down and those different things that you mentioned mean that it, instead of experiencing all of that loss, these three different pieces then go and add a positive uh, return to offset some of that loss. And the loss gets cut materially down from what it had been. And as you said, uh, with the goal of monetizing the hedges and not necessarily, although I guess they could have bought more Conagra stock, but then going and buying something like the S&P 500. And by the way, you could also hedge that. And so, you know, I, th- I think this is just, it, it's an interesting way of, of looking at it, but Jay, all those different pieces are sort of additive, right? Yeah, those those all are built in concert to you know make sure we're delivering the end goal, which for this client was I want to keep the stock, I want to keep my income, I don't want this hedge to really cost me too much, but yeah, I want to protect in case they ever decide to cut their dividend that I've got, uh, you know, I've got something protected by an underlying asset, and so right we were we we're able to maintain all of that, and I think you you made a really good point there, and I probably under. Uh, emphasized it, which was, hey, you know, we didn't hedge this thing at zero, right? I mean, uh, while we bought 32 puts, while the stock was traded at 35 $37, you know, there still was a degree where the position lost some money, but again, it fit their risk tolerance, right? They could handle from 37 to 32 that $5 decline. It was fine. It was well within their risk tolerance. But then, you know, as those 32 puts went in the money, you know, then, you know, we started seeing that dollar for dollar appreciation. But uh, so again, it's not a full 100% hedge in this example, in this real life example. We, we rarely, rarely, I won't say never, rarely hedge where you have absolutely no loss. You can do it. It's expensive. So it means you usually have to give up a lot of the upside. But actually for this client, it would have been totally fine because all they cared about is the income, right? income from the dividend. So as long as we didn't put that at risk, this client was going to be happy. But again, there's, it's, it's unique, right? This client is, you know, really reliant on the dividend for income because they have so many shares. 
Um, not everybody fits that bill. So a lot of people hold stock because of the growth aspects, right? Or the sentimental aspects. So let's not dig, you know, rehash that information. But, you know, again, it wasn't a, you know, they didn't lose zero. They did lose some, but it was within their risk tolerance. And again, that was based on the conversations we had with the advisor and the client. Yeah. And, and one more thing before I pivot, it, it is interesting. Uh, we talked about last week, the difference between a one standard deviation, sort of historical, uh, you know, expected drawdown. Um, and then you, the single stock is, you know, somewhere, some studies say 40%, uh, you know, volatility. So cutting the volatility on a single stock by over 50%, a little bit over 50% just through direct hedging. And as you said, all these different pieces come in. And so to kind of sum this one up, it's um, the process is, okay, what do you, you know, what do you have? What do you want? What are you trying to avoid? Uh, what's the motivation? And then just working with the client and saying, let's structure something within the risk tolerance. And in this case, it was, they own the stock, they want to get the dividend, the dividend's good. And just the combination between direct hedges an overlay of other volatility selling and and covered calls by doing that uh, substantially cutting the uh, you know the the losses there. So I think that's a good example of where and and we keep teasing the white paper, but we'll, in in much more detail than we can get into today. Um, you know that's something. Anything else on that one before I, I kind of flip us to the next example? Uh, the only thing I'd say is we're continuing to hedge that position for that client now, right? The program continues, even though, you know, the stock had that bad drop and then the rebound, the client was very happy. We continue to, uh, to do it, to do it even today. And again, we're, our goal for this client is, you know, protecting, you know, their income and avoiding to, you know, huge losses and, uh, um, you know, waiting for an opportunity to take profits on another hedge. Although, listen, you never really want to use your hedge. Maybe I could say that, right? Like, like, and no, you never want to use your insurance. It means the thing you are insuring had a breakdown, right? Uh, you don't want to use your homeowner's insurance. Gosh, you don't want to use your health insurance. I mean, maybe you want it for a checkup because you feel good that you paid for it and you're, you're, you got covered with your office visits. But gosh, you don't want to use your hospital coverage, right? That means something bad happened. But having it means... Uh, it doesn't kind of end your investing or, it, you know, or, or even worse, right? You can't replace what you lost. And so um, we continue to hedge for that client. I, again, we don't sit around wishing for the hedges to be profitable, but when they happen, we definitely take advantage of that. Jay, next one I want to pivot to is is Apple. And uh, it's fair enough. Uh, you know, we talked to, let's just go through Apple because we mentioned it last week and we mentioned from 81 to 2018 while the stock, the compounded annual growth rate from 81 to 2018 was over 15%. That's really good. That's very good. You would love that. The challenge with this, a single stock or holding the stock, even though the results were good, was that in some years you had somewhere between a 50 or a 71% drawdown. And it happened not once, not twice, but several times over this. So let's talk about Apple. And Apple, you know, one of the questions you get is, well, in hindsight, I just could have not done anything and just held the stock. Now, Apple doesn't pay a dividend or doesn't, I shouldn't say that. They, they pay a small dividend, so it's a little different than ConAgra. But Jay, walk me through, let's use Apple as an example. And what would be the benefit to, to using a, a single stock risk hedging program? Um, obviously, I think there's a lot of opportunity here to, to not only you know, stay invested if that's what they want, but monetize the hedges. And there's, there's a couple things here we can go through. Can, can I just say something about Apple, Derek? I mean, we, sure. I mean, we, we know that it's been having a good year, 
But as I'm looking at it here, do you realize on January 3rd, it closed at about $142 a share? Right now, while we're on this podcast, it's hitting a new all-time high at 267 Like, that's a, over 80 It's close to 90% appreciation for Apple. Uh, uh, wow. Just amazing that everyone would think the law of large numbers prevents a stock like this from having that kind of a year. Uh, but wow. Wow. It's just amazing. Um, but by the way, if you actually look back 12 months ago, right, where it's trading in November, and even if you're willing to give me a little latitude and say, go back to say October 1st of last year, it was trading at 230. And so that's not that much different than where it was in October. Well, the exact reason why you hedge is what happened from October 3rd to January 3rd in that three month period where Apple goes from 230 down to 140, right? That is why you hedge. Um, how often is that going to happen? Well, it depends. It could be, uh, uh, it depends on the volatility of the stock. But this at the time was the largest stock, uh, the largest market cap at the, uh, I guess, is, am, I, am I describing that the right way? It was the largest stock by market cap measurements, meaning the value of the public company. Um, it had broke the trillion dollar mark, right? Everyone was using that as a really interesting talking point. And then it proceeds to take, oh, I don't know, an 80-point sell-off, right? 80, 85-point sell-off. In those scenarios, I know a lot of folks that just thought Apple was bulletproof, and it was, you know, the edification of the worst fears of the trade war at the time. And having protection on a stock like this does two things for you. One, uh, those, those hedges then give you the opportunity to uh, add more stock as the market drops because your hedges are, second point, very profitable and they've protected your value. It's almost like the stock went on sale by 30%, but your value was retained wherever you put your hedges. So even if your hedge is at 15, 20% down, right? In that scenario, um, you end up buying with dollars that buy you more. And so, Limiting your volatility in your portfolio is important. And then the ability to take advantage of buying while the stock is low is also important. Now, um, maybe you use it as an opportunity to diversify away like we did for that ConAgra client. But I have plenty of clients that held Apple uh, through that whole period of time. And they were loving it. And they just thought, geez, why do I need an advisor? Because I just buy Apple or Amazon, right? And then when the sold off happened, they said, wow, why do I have so much Apple? Right. And so those are the conversations that we have with clients on a pretty regular basis. Um, and it's all about the opportunity to protect and the opportunity to um, take advantage of dips uh, and also the, 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 the importance of bringing stability to a portfolio and predictability of long term returns. We invest for a goal and I won't go through all of that, but we all have goals and reasons why we have money in the market, especially if you have a lot in a single stock like Apple, your odds are you're holding it for growth is the reason why you're holding it. Well, when you have a minus 35% in a three-month period, that's the opposite of growth. So in those scenarios, you want to have a hedge for something that if you've decided to concentrate your positions in your dollars in a, in a single stock because you're trying to outperform, then why not be protected in a way that if you're wrong, you don't pay a multi-year penalty? Jam, I'm using hindsight bias, totally hindsight bias, when I'm only looking at historicals. 
and I'm going to give you an, I'll call it an analogy on the fly on this one. You know, their, their, uh, their returns have been really good. I have no idea what it's going to do tomorrow or next 10 years, but they've been really good. And it reminds me when I watched the show Shark Tank. Jay, do you watch that at all? I do. That show? So you ever know, you know, Mr. Wonderful is the guy who oh, he, he likes irks to- me. He, but he does it on purpose. That's his personality. I, I think he's underrated though. I think he's actually underrated. He's had a couple exits, uh, some, some success there, but he often wants a royalty. And one of the things he says to people with really high profit margins, meaning- you know, what you buy, the cost of goods and what you sell it. Uh, they buy it really low, but they can sell it. He'll say, you know, you've got such good margins, you can afford a royalty. And I was thinking as you're talking about Apple, you know, hindsight only, look in the past, uh, their returns have been so good, a holder of Apple could have afforded a little bit of a, a protection. Because I mean, Jay, if, even if you're building it on Apple, obviously you give up a few uh, a couple hundred basis points at least a year to head to the downside. But the returns were so good, I mean, you could have afforded it and you would have not experienced, uh, you know, the st- the typical standard. I mean, their standard deviation, 81 through 2018, was over 68% by my calculations. Wait, so so explain, is that theory. a lot or a little? Okay, so <laughs> Set up. the market is around 8.5%. A single stock typically is a 30% premium above the market. So you're talking you know, about a 38% standard deviation on average single stocks, according to a few studies that will, will be in the white paper. Apple is 50% higher than a normal um, you know, standard deviation. And by the way, in just lay terms, it's, it's, really, st- it's really volatile, very volatile, <laughs> okay? So what you're saying is a lot. My arms are really outstretched right now, Jay. They're really wide. So my point is, this stock, in hindsight, you could have afforded a hedge. And by the way, you wouldn't have, you know, imagine you didn't experience the, the full 70% down. And guess what? If you really wanted to diversify out or you wanted to buy more, you could have monetized the hedges. I just bring that up, Jay, and I thought about it. I don't know if it's a good example, bad example, but. Listen, I think it's um, you have to decide where you want to have your give up, right, when it comes to a stock like Apple. So if you're holding it for growth reasons, you usually want it to grow a lot, which means you don't want to do covered calls on it um, because those those will hamper your growth after a certain period of time. And so, you know, you can't use some tactics that help pay for the hedge. So you have to be willing to endure a two to three percent drag on the position um, uh, because you want to be unconstrained to the upside. There's a there's a financials term unconstrained, but uh, it just means you're not limited. Right. So and now if you want to have a free hedge on Apple or a or a funded hedge or a you know a budget to pay for your hedge, then okay, you got to be willing to give up some of the upside. Now we can always do hypos over it or some other option strategy. That's, a, that's another conversation. But but the point is um you just gotta pick pick your poison, right? If you want to avoid the catastrophic sell-off, if you want to avoid the Q4, you know, sell-off that we saw. Uh, of last year uh, fully, then okay, then there's going to be a cost somewhere. You buy your insurance and uh, either you're going to give up some of the upside or it's going to cost you a little bit. But when you have a stock that's up almost 90% this year, I think if I told you it would have cost you two and a half or two to 3% to, you know, to be protected from further drop, but yet you could feel comfortable of being in the position to capture growth then I think most investors would be willing to take that risk. Heck, if you're willing to be concentrated for growth reasons in a stock like Apple, you clearly are already willing to take some sort of a loss. 
especially if you're a, st- a student of volatility, like you just said, right? If it's twice as volatile uh, than the average stock and the average stock is four times as volatile than the market. So you've essentially, if you're willing to take on eight times the fluctuation and volatility in your portfolio, that was quick math, by the way, four times two. I know you, I know you're with me on that, Tarek. Um, then you should be willing to endure just a couple percentage to avoid the catastrophic loss. It's, it seems like a no brainer. So let's, let's kind of, before we uh, pivot to the, the final sort of example, I'll, I'll just kind of round this out. Uh, what we've talked about is let's say we have a client and, and, this is the situation. They come to us and you talked about the goals and, and everything that goes into these conversations. But somebody says, look, I still want growth. I've got Apple. Uh, maybe they've got a, a lower cost basis. Um, they believe in the company. So there's that bias that you mentioned in, in sort of the opening. And from that, you know, maybe they don't want to cap the upside. So they say, look, I'm okay uh, giving up you know, uh, 3%, let's say, uh, without doing the numbers of the upside. So, you know, in theory, if it goes up 15, you only capture 12. And, you know, that's some rough math. I am using my, my stack of napkins, Jay. Uh, but they, uh, but what they're doing is they want to cut, they want to put a floor above that normal standard devia- historical standard deviation, meaning some point between where it is now and, and X percent lower, they don't want to lose anymore. And guess what? If it goes down below that and the hedges are worth money, you could actually take those, hedge the profits, and invest more. Um, obviously, not everyone, you mentioned the other one too, might be someone says, look, um, I want to get rid of my cost of hedging, so I'm willing to put a ceiling on the stock. I'm going to use uh, selling volatility above uh, that would require me to give up Apple and take those funds and then buy and fund the, the premium for the, the protection. So it really kind of illustrates just how personal all of these cases are. But uh, I think this is a good one to, I'm glad we went through Apple, Jay. Yep. No, I think it's a great example, Derek. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I think we've, we've definitely talked through it. I think you hit on the points there in the summary, Derek. Um, I, uh, uh, let's, let's, let's face it. Um, you, you own Apple cause you want growth, right? I mean, you're not doing it for the dividends. Um, if you were fortunate to have bought it five, 10 years ago and you have a low tax basis, you should probably have a systematic price for for laying some off over time, especially while it's at all-time highs, and figure out what tax you want to pay and help diversify it. But if you're only in it for the growth, yeah, then you're going to want to hedge it. Um, I will I will say this, Derek. Um, there is something that we'll do from time to time when we know our hedges are, you know, the odds of our hedge ever paying off drop. You know, we do look at probabilities. It's a function of options. Um, you know, we, we do recommend rolling those hedges up. We will do that. So, for example, um, we have some clients that have Apple and we're hedging Apple today, right now. Um, they had a systematic plan to sell. We already had some called away at the last expiration in October. It's perfect. It's what we wanted to have done. But um, we just, we rolled up the hedges when their hedges expired. So that means as the market was going higher, as Apple was going higher, you know, their hedges were set originally at the 160 level. We just rolled them up over 200. And so what happened is we just locked in another 40 points of gain. And it was more than funded by the appreciation of the stock. And so, you know, all of those things, you know, not only is the entry important, it's the ongoing management of the position that we also think is important to continue to discuss. And knowing what's going to happen uh, based off of what the stock is going to do is important for the client, right? We told the client, hey, if this thing rockets, we're going to roll your hedges up. You're going to sell some at your your first price, and we're going to continue to you know, capture some other gains. We're going to offset the taxes uh, as well. And guess what? If it keeps going, we're going to roll your hedge higher. And that client knew exactly what was going to happen uh, over the last three months, uh, uh, regardless 
of, uh, uh, of you know what they're paying attention to for the rest of their life. We know their Apple position was managed and it was discussed with them ahead of time. And, you know, you take into consideration the different scenarios of what can happen up, down, sideways, really up, really down. All of those things are discussed with the client. And because they have to be managed, it can't be set it and forget it. Yeah. And somebody said to me, well, couldn't I just buy puts on, on my stock? And uh, they could. But uh, as you just mentioned, Jed, there's, there's a, really a lot that goes into it. And it's kind of like, you know, setting up the position the first time is one thing. But there are some really important decisions that we can make along the way to, I don't want to call it alpha, but to optimize sort of the outcomes. And there, there's some things that happen in the options market that appear and then don't appear. And understanding what's going on with premium, I mean, it's, it's a lot more intricate than just, hey, let me, let me own some puts on a stock and sell some covered calls. It's, I'm, I'm going to pull an audible on you, Derek, here for oh a sec. Um, I'm going to give another example. And the reason why I'm giving these examples, we're not cherry picking, right? Stocks have volatility. I don't care what stock it is. Most stocks will go through a period of time where they sell off 30%, 40%, right? It just happens. It's natural with single stocks. Obviously, with the broader base market, it could go on for years. What are we in the 11th year of this market without a 20% sell-off? Um Individual stocks, I, I'm, I bet you would be hard pressed to find a stock over the last eleven years that didn't have a twenty percent pullback at some point, right, or a thirty percent pullback. I don't know the answer to that. It's probably worth doing a little research. But every stock that we hedge, I could find an example where it had that pullback. And so the audible I'm going to pull on you is is Ameritrade, right? It's near and dear to you and I. But recently, when Schwab cut its commissions to zero and Ameritrade followed suit and Fidelity followed suit and E-Trade followed suit, those stocks dropped dramatically. Again, it's a stock that went from 45 bucks to 30 bucks in the period of one day, right? And we manage concentrated Ameritrade stock for some of our clients. And guess what? They were happy they were hedged that day. It happens. I don't care how insulated you think a single stock can be. There's, I don't know very many, and, I, and I'm hard pressed to think of any that haven't had at least a 30% sell-off in the last, in, during this bull market. And so, um, you know, you're going to get an opportunity to profit from your hedges. You will. Um, we actually, the positions we put on, uh, we plan on one out of four years for every one of those positions. We use stocks that have uh, positions that have like a 25 delta. We plan one out of four years, we're going to take profits in your hedges. And so, you know, it may not happen this year, may not happen next year, but when it happens, we're going to take advantage of it. So sorry, I went a little off off outline on that one. I had to throw in the Ameritrade AMTD stock real quick. Um, it has subsequently bounced up. But again, profit on the hedges, profited when it bottomed out. It's one of those things that uh, you got to take advantage of when you're managing positions. Yeah, Jay, I had a, a spare napkin, so I was able to get that quickly onto the, uh, the outline. <laughs> yeah, finally, I'll, I'll kind of round us out with, uh, uh, we'll do a shortened one of this, but uh, we were looking at PG and, and uh uh, symbol. And it's just interesting, you know, Jay and I were talking and we said, you know, what about if you just, you had a hedging program and you never needed it? And I, I think you actually uh, hit this already and it's great. You know, not every, some people want the stocks to go down because they want the hedgers opportunity, but most people want the stock to go up, get the dividend. And if you never needed the protection, fantastic, but it was there if, if you needed it. So, you know, PG, we won't spend too much time on that one, but if you look at the chart, uh, ever since I think it was the end of 18, it's been a steady rise up. And so if you had protection, didn't need it. Good. Got the dividend. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Procter Gamble, Simple PG has been just 
you know, the, when, when I was trying to, th- when we were thinking of stocks to pick for this particular example, I mean, it is just the quintessential chart of up and to the right. And, you know, every little pullback is boy and the pullbacks are little, don't get me wrong. Now, listen, everyone, it did have a little volatility uh, uh, in 2018, but, you know, since then it has been up and up and to the right. And so well, the reason why we bring this one up is, um, again, it's, it's uh, a staple stock like this that, uh, 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 is, is held by clients because they like the two and a half percent dividend and they just trust it's going to go up into the right. And so one of those things that we do in these scenarios is managing the cost of hedging is important. It would be silly to spend 10% a year to hedge, to hedge PG, right? Um, you'd still be profitable by the way, right? It still goes up enough to offset that, but you want to make sure that the cost of hedging doesn't really, uh, get in the way of you, uh, appreciating along with your stock that is going up. And so, you know, one of the things that you think about why hedge a stock like Procter and Gamble? And the simple answer is because when the dip comes, you've actually been able to avoid a lot of it. And we think you can sleep at night better knowing that your underlying asset, that in this case, you're probably, again, it's like a dividend paying stock based 2.4%, 2.5%, and it increases their dividend all the time. It's why you hold this kind of a a, a long-term wide note uh, company. Uh, The ability to avoid the loss is so important. Don't know when it's going to come. PG has had sell-offs. It it is one of those that it has had a minor sell-off compared to what, say, like Apple had or or even ConAgra had. But you know, just taking the risk out of your portfolio is is important. And so, again, if you have a concentrated position and you're forced to hold this position, uh, Procter and Gamble, or, or you know, you were given as compensation and you have a large tax uh, uh, gain if you actually went and sold it and diversified right away, why not use options to create protection while you're implementing your plan over time um, to systemically sell some stock, uh, and you can actually calculate what your tax liability will be with your accountant, obviously, and we work in those prices. And so again, it's a position like this that kind of always goes up and to the right. You get like, why should I even hedge this thing? It never drops. It will. There's nothing that never drops. It will. And uh, you want to be in a position that your plan is such that either A, you're going to profit from your hedges or B, you have a systematic sell uh, of the positions over time. You know, this is a stock. The only reason we watch this one is we have a lot of clients that say, buy Procter & Gamble on a pullback. Let me tell you, we've been waiting a while to buy Procter & Gamble. But if we were hedging, I would not stop hedging as it continued to go up. We'd roll those hedges and lock the gains as it was going higher and higher. Yeah, and I think you've kind of illustrated the question of why why do this? Like, why did, why should you do this if your plan is to just hold the stock? And um, I think you outlined a couple of important things. Number one is, uh, obviously, the emotional side of this. Uh, you want to have protection. You want to sleep a little better at night. But there are opportunities where if the stock goes down enough, you could monetize the hedges and buy more of those that stock at really low prices. And by the way, then re-hedge or you could diversify out. So I think, you know, is it worth it? I think so. And I think for a number of reasons, and part of it is we simply don't know what's going to happen in the future. Uh, but the positive thing uh, or the, the important thing about all this is, too, is just how customizable all of these situations are, and as you know, here and Jay and I just talked through them. Uh, they're not all the same, and and, it, and the management of these gets pretty involved. And uh, you know, hopefully, that's uh, where we we put our expertise to work. So, with that, Jay, uh, anything else for the uh, the audience this week? 
No, Derek, I think this is uh thank you for letting us get into detail here and and um uh give some content to people that really are looking for, you know, help me understand the outline of should I be hedging this? Am I is it bad that I've got this concentrated position? Am I taking too much risk? At least we've, you know, given some examples of how it works um uh and the opportunities that show up but also a format that people that have these positions can then kind of talk through of what is the goal of my position um what kind of an account am i dealing with what am i trying to avoid and can i really handle the risk i think if people ask themselves those questions it becomes evident that talking to you or talking to us at sega those are um it's 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 at least at least makes sense to speak with somebody that can help you evaluate you know does it? Do I continue to hold this, or do I need to have a better plan than just, hey, I know eventually it's all going to go up because the company's great. All right, Jay. Well, uh, unfortunately, the New York Giants season is not going up anytime soon, but we'll save that for another podcast. This was a good week for us. You know why? Why is that? We had a buy. We didn't lose. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> That's good. Nobody. Wow that 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 uh, that did not land. I apologize. <laughs> no, no. I I I thought you were going to say we moved down in the uh, you know the draft order. <laughs> no, I wasn't frustrated Sunday. That's why it was a good week. Oh yeah. Well, it could be worse. You could be a uh, a Jet fan, right? That's at least they beat the Giants. Yeah. So. <laughs> You know what I remember, though, Jay? You know, this was I, this such a good quick. podcast, Derek. Until you had to go with the G-Men. You just had to we're yeah. rounding out with that. But, you know, before the advent of the, the Red Zone channel and stuff like that, you know, I, obviously the audience knows at this point, you and I both grew up in the, in the New York area. Do you remember when the Jets and Giants were both horrible and, like, one was on at one and one was on at four and you couldn't watch any other games? And it was just like they were bad. And it was like that for a while. Seems like the Jets have always been bad. At least the Giants. The NFL you know, has got, evolved. The NFL has evolved. Yeah, that's for sure. We got several, several Super Bowls and two versus the Patriots, uh, who can't beat us still. All right, Jay. With that, we'll uh, end here, and uh, we'll talk to everyone soon. Thanks again, Jay. Thanks, Derek.